we're continuing on with our series of Grace is Greater Than, and we're going to be talking about Grace is Greater Than Your Vengeance here this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll get there in just a moment. But what I want you to understand and take from today's sermon today is this. Forgiveness goes beyond releasing the pain. It's releasing the person. Forgiveness goes beyond releasing the pain. It's releasing the person. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know a message like this is difficult. I know it's hard. Because some of the hurts that we have in our lives, Lord, it goes deep. And Lord, to say that we need to forgive that individual, sometimes it's very difficult for us to do. And so God, I pray that here this morning, we not only hear your word and learn what we need to do in order to take some steps to forgiveness, but also, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to do it. Help us to allow your, your grace to, to flow through us to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Being in the ministry is incredible. I don't think there's a higher calling in life than being in the ministry that God has for you. And it's great, it's wonderful. I mean, we get to see lives being changed and, and we get an opportunity to lead people to Jesus Christ as their Savior. What exciting that is. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior or you have no idea what I'm talking about, let me encourage you to take your connection card and just write on there, Dwayne, I need to know some more information about that. Or I'd like to talk to you about that. And I would love nothing more than to set up an appointment with you or come see me after the service. And uh, we'll set up a time where we can get together and talk about those things. Because there's no greater privilege in life than to be able to sit down with somebody and lead them to Jesus Christ. And so I would love to do that. And as wonderful as the ministry is, listen, it's not always a bed of roses. It's not always a bed of roses. If you've been in ministry for any length of time, you will find that there are some people who just don't like you. I know that's hard to believe, as lovable guys I am, but there are some people that just don't like you. That's just the way it is. This is not something they teach you in seminary. It's not something that they put in the job description whenever you go to work for a church. Sorry, Kel. For those who don't know, Kel will be coming on staff soon. But this is reality. This is what we deal with. And I'm so grateful and thankful for, for the many people that have loved upon us here and, and uh, have, have, have provided us such encouragement. I'm grateful for that. And I'm thankful for that. But I've also had my fair share of hate mail since I've started ministry 20 years ago. I've even had my family physically threatened in a previous church. I must be honest, it affected myself, it affected my family to the point where we end up having to leave that ministry. It was something that stayed with me for a very long time and nearly drove me out of the ministry until I was able to learn to forgive. Although some of you may not be in ministry, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've been through similar situations. What do you do when somebody intentionally tries to hurt you? What do you do when it's somebody you know, somebody you count on, somebody you trust, somebody you loved? How do you forgive? It may be your ex who's tried to make your life miserable. It may be a nasty neighbor who's made living in your home a nightmare. 
Maybe it's a mom who constantly yells at you and puts you down. Perhaps a father who seems completely oblivious to your existence. Perhaps it's a friend who betrayed you, a co-worker who is cruel and manipulative and makes your job very difficult. A spouse is cheating on you. A relative who abused you. Of course it hurts. Of course you're angry. But notice what Paul says in Ephesians that Michael alluded to last week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. If you remain angry, that's exactly what you're doing. You're giving place to the devil. You're allowing the devil to have a foothold in your life. It's natural to be angry. Sometimes it's even appropriate. However, the anger should be short-lived. Because if not, that anger will turn into bitterness and it will become toxic. We need to get rid of it. After enough setting suns, those feelings can become a part of you. What was done to you begins to shape your identity. What was said to you begins to define you. We can find ourselves held prisoner not by something that we did in the past, but rather by what someone did to us. So it's not difficult, at least on an intellectual level, for us to agree with Paul's directions here. To rid yourself of anger and bitterness. I mean, if a doctor diagnosed you with cancer... What would you tell the doctor? To get rid of it, right? I mean, that's not something you want to hang on to. It's something that destroys the body. You would want to get rid of it. You wouldn't want to hang on to that. You wouldn't go say, you know, hey, you know what? Hey, doc, I really just love my cancer. <laughs> and, and it's just something I really want to hang on to for just a little bit longer. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't do that. And nor should you do it with anger and bitterness as well because anger and bitterness will affect the body both physically and spiritually as well. It's something that you want to get rid of. If you refuse to give grace, be warned that the tumor of bitterness will mutate and multiply inside of you. It's only a matter of time before anger metastasizes into every part of your life. You only have one heart, ladies and gentlemen, one heart. And it's difficult to love with a heart that's filled with anger and bitterness. You'll find that it'll have an impact on all your relationships. And you think, hey, you know, I only, I only hate one person. Well, I'm, I can promise you that everyone in your life is feeling the effects of it. We talk about how we need to get rid of anger and bitterness in previous weeks, and that's part of the forgiveness process. But forgiveness needs to go a step further. It's not just uh, dealing with your feelings and forgiving your feelings and letting go in your feelings. It's forgiving someone specific. Someone specific. It's one thing to release some emotions that are hurting you. But it's a total another thing to release the person who hurt you. As we think about that, is there a person that God has placed on your mind? Is there someone that has hurt you? 
Has God put somebody front and center of your mind? Let me tell you this morning, that's God's challenge for you here this morning. That's God's challenge for you. I want you to understand that grace flows. That's the nature of it. If it doesn't flow, then it's not grace. We can't keep God's grace for ourselves and refuse to give it to someone else. But practically speaking, how do we do that? How do we actually forgive someone? And I know these answers may run the risk of sounding naive. And you may be tempted to dismiss it as too simplistic. But don't confuse simple with easy. Because there's nothing easy about the next steps on our journey of grace. So let's look at our steps of journey of grace. And I want you to be, uh, understand that I want to be practical here this morning. But I also want to be personal. And so you'll see that in the notes. Number one, I must acknowledge my hurt. I must acknowledge my hurt. To go through life pretending that it never happened doesn't benefit you, nor does it benefit the person who offended you. But frequently, whenever I talk to people about forgiveness and getting even and things like that, and I try to, to go through the Scriptures and, and show them things that they need to do, and always sometimes I, I get people saying, hey, you know what, but Dwayne, you just don't understand. You don't understand. You haven't gone through what I've gone through. You haven't been in my shoes. How can you say that? You just don't understand. For some, there's a tendency to dismiss advice or even scriptures because the one giving the advice doesn't seem to understand. It's easy to pass on pious-sounding platitudes about forgiveness when you've never really had to forgive anyone. Paul has much to say about forgiveness. And one may wonder if he could understand what they're going through. Paul had people who intentionally hurt him. He was on the receiving end of more than just one occasional harsh-worded email or text or being unfriended on Facebook. There are many examples of people causing him pain and causing him harm. But I want to especially focus on two of them here this morning. Some of the books that Paul wrote were actually letters written to churches uh, to admonish the church or to encourage the church in some way. We've just read from Ephesians, and that's one of the churches that he wrote to, in church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. But also, Paul wrote to some of the leaders of those churches. And it's a good, and it's a good uh, uh, opportunity for us to go and look at the, the church that he was writing to and the leader of that church and sort of put them together. And this is a case in First and Second Timothy. These are letters that Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy, and he was the leader of the church of Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes about a guy named Alexander who caused him some pain. He doesn't go into detail. He just simply says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Another version uh, puts it this way, he did much evil against me. Paul doesn't get caught up in recounting and complaining about everything that was done to him. But one thing that we do learn here is that he had to acknowledge his hurts. And we have to acknowledge our hurts. You'll notice up on the screen here, I've got a diagram. And uh, anybody that comes and, and uh, needs to, some advice or talk through some certain issues and things in their life, generally, often or not, I will pull out this uh, diagram here because I want people to understand what they're going through in life. You'll notice here the big P there with the circles. That represents a problem that you have in your life. 
And each one of these diagrams actually represent a way that people deal with the problems in their life. Here you have the number one, you have the big problem there, and this individual has come to the problem, and they've sort of gone around the problem, skirted around the problem, they've continued to live their life, hoping that the problem will remain in the past, and they don't have to deal with it again. The second one here is you got the problem, but then there's a little problem on the side. And oftentimes this happens because the people don't want to deal with the big problem, and so they manifest these little problems. And they talk about those things. And to give you an example of that, this may be a situation where we have a couple that's maybe recently married and they're having some intimacy problems with each other. But then upon digging, you find out that maybe as a young girl, she was actually abused. And this is the effect of it. But because that hurt and that pain was so, was so great, she don't want to deal with that. And so we have a problem over here with my husband. But also you see the third one there. This is an individual when they've come to a problem in their life. They've stopped, they've turned around, and they've run from their problem. And they spend their whole life running from their problems. They run from problem after problem after problem. Now as I was going through those diagrams, I want you to think about your own life. Does one of these best represent you? Is this one of your MOs? This is how you deal with problems that come in your life. Because I find that most people I talk to, probably one of those are probably dominant in their life. Well, let me introduce you to a, a fourth option. <clears throat> and I believe this is a biblical option. And this is you deal with the problem. You deal with the problem in life. You address it, you deal with it, and then you move on with life. And you'll notice the difference here between the number four and the rest of them is that in, in the first three, the problem is still there. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't been dealt with. And you will find in your life that it may be one week, it may be two weeks, it may be a year, it may be ten years, but oftentimes those problems will come back to haunt you if you haven't dealt with it. And this is why this is so important. Sometimes we pretend nothing happened. We sweep it under the carpet. We don't want to deal with the hurt. We don't want to deal with the pain. But I tell you, that doesn't work. It does not work, and here's why. Look at your notes. I've got it in there for you. You may want to highlight it. You may want to underline this. You cannot forgive what you refuse to acknowledge. You cannot forgive what you refuse to acknowledge. And so this is why Paul says, I must acknowledge my hurt. I must acknowledge my hurt. Secondly, I must release my rights. I must release my rights. Once I've acknowledged what's done to me, my first instinct is to do something in return, isn't it? You're probably the same way. I have a need to even the score. I have a right to retaliate. I have a right of retribution. I have a right to take revenge. I've acknowledged my deficit. Now it's time to collect. Some of you may feel that way. That seems like the next step in getting over somebody who's caused you pain, somebody who's hurt you. Paul here, after acknowledging the great harm that Alexander did to him, he continues on in verse 14. Notice what he says. May the Lord repay him according to his works. 
It doesn't say, may Paul repay him according to his works. It says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Paul doesn't minimize the hurt that was done to him. He simply releases his right to take revenge. He is signing a waiver over his rights to retaliate. This is different than releasing his feelings of anger and rage. He is releasing the offender over to God. He has taken them off of his hook, and he is placing them on God's hook. There's something within us that thinks, I'll forgive when I get even. When I make them feel the pain that I felt, then I will forgive. Listen to me here, ladies and gentlemen. That's not forgiveness. That's revenge. That's revenge. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay it, says the Lord. That phrase there, give place to wrath, means to leave room for justice to be done. Justice is God's job, not yours. He says, vengeance is mine. When we insist on holding on to our rights to get even, we put ourselves in God's place. It's a way of saying, God, I don't think you can handle this. I don't trust you to take care of me, so therefore, I'm going to deal with the situation myself. And if we're not careful, we can keep playing back those episodes of what was done to us over and over again, like a a favorite movie on a DVR. We play it over and over again. And what I want you to understand here this morning is that every time we do that, the problem with that is with each playback, the weight of what was done to us increases, and it gets greater and greater and greater and greater. And then it comes a point in our life where we have to decide that the weight is too heavy for me to carry. I'm not going to let what that person did to me continue to wear me down. So, God, I release it to you. I release them to you. We can't allow our past hurts to sabotage our future joy. We're not just releasing the pain of what was done, but also we're releasing the person who did it. Notice why Paul is writing about this hurtful man to Timothy. In verse 15 he says, You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Paul has released his rights, but he is protective of Timothy. He may have forgiven Alexander, but he doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust him. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily equate to trust. Just because you give up your right to take revenge doesn't mean that the person doesn't need to be held accountable. If a crime has been committed against you, this doesn't mean that you don't report it. It doesn't mean that the person doesn't need to answer for his crimes. It also doesn't mean that you move forward in the relationship and you trust the person as if nothing happened. It may be that you need to put up some wise barriers in your relationship moving forward. Paul acknowledges what was done and he releases it to God. But then he sets up some appropriate boundaries to prevent future harm in order to protect Timothy. We may need to do the same in our lives to someone who has hurt us. We need to put up those barriers for protection. First, I need to acknowledge my hurt. I need to release my rights. Thirdly, I must pray for those who hurt me. I must pray for those who hurt me. 
as you can tell by my accent, I grew up in America. And I grew up in the South. And in the South, whenever I was growing up, there was a lot of racial tension. And uh, I went to a high school that had both whites and blacks, and there was a section of the, the school that the blacks liked to hang out in. And uh, they liked to, to line the walls uh, of that particular hallway. And as you go through that, that hallway, it's like running the, the gauntlet. And uh, they look for, for opportunities. Uh, they find these white, uh, little white skinny boys who are very timid and shy. And they take the opportunity as they walk through there. They would gang up on them. They would knock the books out of their hands. And as they go to bend to pick them up, they go and push them over. And they continue on. They're relentless. And they continue to do it over and over again until they make that boy cry. And unfortunately, we had uh, classes over on that side. So we had to go down that hallway. But as I saw that, I was determined, I'm not going to let that happen to me. I was a skinny white boy. I know that may be hard to believe. But I used to be skinny. I didn't have a, uh, a stitch of muscle on me at that time. And I, and I said, you know what? I am not going to allow them to do that to me. I'm going to walk down this, uh, this hallway. I'm going to hold my, my head up high. And I'm going to look them in the eye. And I'm almost going to dare them to do anything to me. But inside, I was so afraid. I was so scared. I was going to get beat up every single day. But that's nothing compared to Ruby Bridges. Back in 1960, she was a first grader. She was six years old. And this is the time where the American government decided to integrate blacks into the white schools. There were supposed to be a few of the kids do this, but for some reason they dropped out. And Ruby was the only black girl that was going to be integrated in this school in Louisiana. When she got off the bus, she had four marshals that had to protect her because there was a big mob of people that were there yelling out racial slurs. They were spitting upon her. They were actually carrying around these black dolls in coffins. And one day, as she was walking by one lady, one lady said, you know what, I'm going to poison you. I'm going to kill you. Here we're talking about a six-year-old girl, a first grader. And this happened day after day after day. So they sent her to Dr. Robert Cole in order to get some help with this and deal with the pain. And as he sat down with her and he was talking to her, he was baffled about her, uh, with her calm nature and there was no signs of depression, there was no signs of bitterness or anger for her enemies. And he was baffled about that. And one day as she got off the bus, one of the teachers noticed that, uh, that she would, when, she, when she approached the crowd, she would mumble something under her breath. So she told the doctor about it. And uh, in their next session, the doctor sat down with her and, and asked her about it. She, she, she says, what do you say to the crowd? And she says, well, doctor, I'm not talking to the crowd. She goes, I'm talking to God. She goes, I'm praying for the crowd. A six-year-old girl. You see, she had been taught by her parents and her pastor that she should be praying for her enemies. And so that's what she did. She prayed for her enemies. And Dr. Cole goes on to say that the parents were unable to read and write. But they taught her to do what Jesus said to do. And this allowed her to get rid of the bitterness and rage and anger. But what happens when the person that's hurting you is not your enemy, but your friend? 
Not only did Alexander hurt him, Paul then goes on to describe another incident that happened in his life, or another hurt that he had. And in verse 16 he says, At my first defense no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Again, Paul acknowledges the offense. Paul is likely talking here about a trial when he had to stand in front of the Roman authorities. Nero was one of the Roman emperors at the time, and he was doing everything he could to destroy the church and put an end to Christianity. And Paul was referencing here a trial where his, literally his life was on the line. And in that moment of need, no one showed up. He had loved and he had served and he has poured his life into these people, and none of them came to support him. Maybe you know what that's like. You know the pain of counting on someone who's let you down. You trust your heart over to somebody and they gave it back to you in pieces. Now this is a different kind of hurt because it comes from someone you trust. With Paul, I get the sense that he wasn't really especially close to Alexander the coppersmith, but the people who didn't show up for his trial were friends. They were close to him. There were people who he cared about. And, and the more intimate the relationship is, the more devastating the hurt can be. So Paul is writing about feeling betrayed. He loved and sacrificed for these people, and when they all deserted him, how did he feel about this now? Look at verse 16. He goes on to say, May it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against him. He doesn't just release his rights to take revenge. He says a prayer for them, hoping that their sin won't be held against them. It's the same prayer we saw in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was being stoned to death, and the same prayer that Jesus actually prayed while he was on the cross being crucified for your sins and my sin. And it was what Jesus taught us to do in Luke chapter 6 verse 27. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless, are those, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. And maybe as you read that passage of Scripture today, you've actually attached a name or a face of a person who has mistreated you, and it sounds impossible. You say, wait, 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 Dwayne. What do you mean? Sp- you mean I'm supposed to pray for that person that hurt me? Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, this will do more to get you down the path of forgiveness and grace than anything else. We need to do what Jesus said to do. If we're going to forgive and let grace flow through us, we need to pray for those that have hurt us. And you may be in a place in your life where you don't even consider doing what Jesus said to do here. But remember, please remember this. Remember, it's also what Jesus did for you. Don't miss that. He prayed for people who put him on the cross. And make no mistake about it, when he went to the cross, he was paying for your sin and my sin. This is not going to be easy. So this is why, number four, I must lean on the Lord. I must lean on the Lord. Paul briefly shares with Timothy how he was wronged, but also how God gave him the strength that he needed. In verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Man, that's so beautiful there. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. 
and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I delivered out of the mouth, I was delivered out of the mouth of, of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How do you forgive? It's a choice. It's a choice. You may say, well, Dwayne, I don't feel like forgiving. Well, lucky for you, it's not about feeling. It's about obedience. I found that if I am obedient in forgiveness, then later the feelings follow. But if you wait for the feelings, in all likelihood, it'll never happen. You choose to release it. You pray for your enemies. And I think probably most importantly, you recognize that God is standing there with you. He will have the final word. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will help you accomplish this in your life. And Paul concedes that the people that he was counting on let him down. And he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And some of you understand what Paul is expressing here. There was a time in your life where the people you cared about seemed to be absent. But it was then that God seemed most present in your life. And when you felt most betrayed and abandoned, you discover that God was right there with you, standing with you, and you were able to lean upon Him. Paul looks back now at the hurt that was done to him, and he can see that God was not only, you, not, was not on, not only the, uh, allowing him to, to forgive others, but he could see that God was using him in that way. He can see that God was only not with him, but also God was using him during that time of hurt in his life to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach the good news. God brings about good from the bad, and it was done in Paul's life, and he can do that in your life as well, if you'll allow him. It makes it easier to forgive someone when you can have the confidence that what they meant for evil, God can work for good. If you've been hurt, betrayed, abandoned, or abused... God is standing there with you and he offers grace here this morning that is not only grace greater than anything that you have done, but also is greater than anything that has been done to you. God may have placed an individual in your mind this morning as we're going through this very difficult topic. He's put that person on the forefront of your mind and as I said earlier, that's God's challenge for you here this morning. That's God's challenge for you. It's one thing to get over the pain, to release the hurt, but you have to release the person who hurt you. You may say, I can't. Well, the Bible tells us that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. God can and will give you the strength to allow His grace to flow through you if you let Him. Go back to our principle. Forgiveness goes beyond releasing the pain. It's releasing the person. How do we do that? There's a steps there. I must acknowledge my hurt. I must release my rights. I must pray for those who hurt me. And I must lean on the Lord. You have a card in your hand that says grace is greater than, and there's a blank. What is the hurt that you need to put in that blank? What is the person or the individual you need to put in that blank? Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to release over to the Lord? I want you to go and write that person's name on that card and then put it somewhere prominently in your house because every time I, you see that card, I want you to pray for that individual. I want you to pray for that person and I want you to continue to pray over and over and over again until the hurt and the hate that you have for that individual becomes a love for that individual. 
God can strengthen you to do that. Allow God's grace to flow through you as you release that individual here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, I know this message was probably very difficult for some here this morning because we know some of the hurts that happen in our lives are deep. But God, we know that you are a God of love. You are a God of grace. And Lord, with your strength, with your empowerment, you can allow us not only to release the hurt that was done to us, but also we can release that individual to you. And Lord, with your help, we can actually get to the point in our lives where we can learn to love that individual again. It's not going to be easy, Lord. We know that. And that's why it's important for us to lean upon you. Help us, Lord, as we go out. Show us, Lord, what we need to do. And give us your strength and your grace to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.